0: Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. Tonight we pray for a mighty and a powerful anointing of the Holy Ghost. Let the power of the Holy Ghost, fill this room, that the power of the Holy Ghost touch and change our lives. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, Heavenly Father, in advance. Amen and amen. You may be seated around the church tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 7 while you are getting there. It is important for us as a church to really keep in mind the basic foundation of our faith everything we do as a church, it really ties back to the foundation of the church. The basic, fundamental message of the faith. In the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 24, we see, Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. I will liken him to a wise man who built his house upon a rock. Let's hold there for a moment. As a church, we are going to be building a spiritual house. This is what we have been tasked to do by the Lord Jesus. Yet what we use... As the foundation is vitally important. What did Jesus say upon a rock? We know that the rock in which the church is built is Jesus Christ. He is the rock. He is the foundation. We as a church. We need to build on this foundation. Why? Verse 25. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Understand something. Every believer and every church will go through rough times. They will go through difficult times. They will go through painful times. I wish I could honestly stand up here and say, that will not happen. But we who have lived a little bit, we know these things are going to happen. Yet why does the church stay strong The church will stay strong when it is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the foundation of the church. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. So I'll start with verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, You are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and other builds thereon. But let every man take heed how he builds thereon, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the foundation. Let's make this a little bit more specific. The core message of the church, the core message of the believers, is this, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. The message of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. What Jesus is doing and what Jesus will do. This is the core message of the church. Yes, we preach the full counsel of the word of God or in our circles, the full gospel. But remember that the gospel always ties back to who Jesus is, what Jesus did, what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus will do. This is the foundation of the church. And we as believers, we need to know this foundation. We need to remind ourselves on a consistent basis of what this foundation is. Why? Because if we ever lose sight of this foundation, we will begin to build on something else that will lead to destruction and ruin. Everything ties back to the gospel message. Who Jesus is, what Jesus did, what Jesus is doing What Jesus will do. That means, when we evangelize those who are outside the church, the core message must be the gospel message. And when we disciple new believers in Jesus, it begins with the gospel message. For this is the foundation of our faith. Are we still here? Follow with me the book of Matthew chapter 3. The first of the four important points of the core message is who Jesus is. In Matthew chapter 3, we see John the Baptist, he is baptizing the people. The baptism representing the fact that they are looking for the first coming of the Christ. John the Baptist told them that the Christ was indeed coming. And then he came. And Jesus came to be baptized with John. We know the account. John said, you should be baptizing me, not the other way around. Jesus said, allow it to be so. And what happens? John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. The heavens open, the Spirit comes down and stays upon Jesus. Then what do we see? The words of God Almighty. When God said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. When we talk about who Jesus is, it always begins with with the Son of God. So many are of the mind that Jesus is a good person. They're of the mind that Jesus is a good teacher. That He performed many mighty works and miracles. But when it comes to some of the core basic facts about Jesus, people Back away real fast. And one of them is this. That Jesus is. The son of the living God. This is the core. Of the who. Jesus is message. Jesus. Is. The son. Of the living God. The book of Matthew. Chapter 16. In that chapter Peter. Is saying who Jesus is. After being asked by Jesus. After Jesus said, Who do men say that I am? They give the name of all the great prophets of old. But then what happens? We see Jesus say, But who do you say that I am? In chapter 6 verse 17. What, 16, we see what? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You see, in order to know who Jesus is, we really need to know Him as the Son of the living God. All the mighty miracles. They were there to prove that Jesus is the Son of the living God the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He is there to prove. He is there to prove that God raised Jesus from the dead and that He is the Son of the living God. In this church age, when we see the mighty signs and wonders When we see the Holy Ghost in operation, it should be a reminder to all believers that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We need to make sure the average believer knows this. When we evangelize, We need to emphasize that Jesus is the Son of the living God. When we disciple, we need to emphasize that Jesus is the Son of the living God. Are we still here? Let's stay with this verse for a second. Peter said two things, actually. He said first, Son of God. But he also said, You are the Christ. Most people, outside the church especially, they think the term Christ really is nothing more than Jesus' last name. That's what the word has become over time. But the word Christ is not the last name of Jesus, it is his title. Jesus' title is the Christ. Are we together on this? In discipleship, we need to know, one, that Jesus is the Christ, the title, not the last name. And we need to know what the meaning of the word Christ is, which is anointed one. Now, Jesus... He was anointed for many things. but We're going to focus on three. The first one is found in Deuteronomy 18, verse 18. Let's go there real fast. Old Testament, right before Joshua, right after Numbers. Deuteronomy 18. I'm going to start with verse 18. Deuteronomy 18 18. What does it say? It says, And I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto me. And you will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak unto them all that I shall command them. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren. Notice that the word prophet is capital letter P, proper noun. Jesus is being anointed to be the prophet. This is not referring to Samuel or Jeremiah. It's not referring to Isaiah or Daniel. It's not referring to Elisha or John the Baptist. This is referring... To Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. He is anointed as Christ to be the prophet. Which means the ministry that Jesus performed in the New Testament. In his three year ministry. It was prophetic in Why? Because God the Father gave Jesus the message on what to speak. When Jesus was with his Father, Jesus heard what the Father was saying. And when Jesus came to earth, Jesus spoke those words to mankind. The words of Jesus are the words of God. Prophet, straight definition is a spokesman for God. The spokesman for God in the New Testament era is Jesus Christ. And he spoke the words of God during his earthly ministry. And now, through the word of God, the Bible, through the preaching of the gospel in churches throughout this world, The word of God as given to Jesus is being proclaimed. We need to know about the ministry of Jesus. Both in his earthly age and now in this church age. We need to know about Jesus the prophet. Specifically the message that he spoke. The message that we now speak. To the people. Are we still here? In the book of Psalm, the 110th Psalm, we see the following Psalm 110, verse 4. What does it say? The Lord, notice all caps, that means God the Father hath sworn, and will not repent. Thou, Jesus the Son, are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's start with the word priest. Jesus is our great high priest. Are we together on this? Now, what do we see? We see Jesus. Who will go to the cross. We will see a Jesus. Who will shed his blood for each and every one of us. And paint our sin debt. But as recorded in the book of Hebrews. Jesus will enter into the heavenly holy of holies. In the tabernacle not made with hands. And there in his role of our great high priest. He will enter in and make atonement for each and every one of us. Why are we saved? We are saved because of the blood of the Lamb that Jesus shed. But we're also saved because Jesus took that blood and made the atonement for each and every one of us. We could not make an atonement. Why? Because we are in sin. Those who are in sin cannot make an atonement. But Jesus, on our behalf, as our great high priest, He went into the heavenly holy of holies. And He made the atonement for us that we could not make for ourselves. Are we together on this? We couldn't do it because none of us have lived a sinless life. From Adam to today and heading into the future. All have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. And because they sinned and fell short of the glory of God, they are not able... To make that atonement. But Jesus. Who has tested in all ways like we are. Yet without sin. He was able to make that atonement for us. The reason why I don't have to make an atonement. Is because Jesus made it for me. All I have to do is believe in what Jesus did as our great high priest. In order for that atonement. To be mine. Are we still here? The same applies to each and every one of us. Jesus atoned for your sins because you could not do it on your own. But because Jesus did this, we have forgiveness, we are justified, we are righteous in the sight of God. Are we still here? So as Christ, Jesus is what? Anointed to be our high priest. He is anointed to be our prophet. The third one, as seen in that same verse, is what? After the order of Melchizedek. In the days of Abraham, when he was Abram. After Abram defeated with the help of the Lord, the kings of Mesopotamia, Abraham met Melchizedek. He was the king of Salem. He was the priest of the Most High God. As priest of the Most High God, Melchizedek gave what? Wine and bread to Abraham. Abraham then tithed to Melchizedek. Who is Melchizedek? High priest, And king. Now what do we see here? Jesus is a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Which means Jesus is anointed. Not just to be prophet. Not just to be priest. But Jesus is anointed to be king of kings and lord of lords. The one that Israel was looking for, they were looking for Jesus as the king. Jesus operated in his ministry in the prophetic role and then during the atonement as our high priest. But when Jesus comes back to rule and reign over this earth, he will be here as king of kings and lord of lords. Why? Why? Because when Jesus ascended back to the Father, the Father put Jesus at His right hand and made Him both king and priest. Our Jesus has been anointed by God the Father to be King of kings and Lord of lords. Why can we, in the millennium and in the kingdom to come, Why can we be kings and priests to our God? Because Jesus was anointed to these positions by God the Father. So when we look at the term Jesus the Christ, I want us to think beyond the word last name. Because there's way more. Jesus being the Christ than just the last name or even the word anointed we need to know our Christ is the spokesman for God as our high priest and as our king or Jesus is all of this are we still here Jesus is what the son of God Jesus is two, the Christ. I could go all night by narrowing this down to three to establish a foundation in this message. In the Gospel of John, the first chapter, the 29th verse, when Jesus passes by, John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the earth. Behold the Lamb of God. Get what we are saying here tonight. The Lamb of God. Understand this concept. Without this shedding of blood, there is no remission or pardon from sin. From the very beginning, after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, we see a pattern of blood sacrifices. For example, Cain and Abel. Abel, what did he do? He offered the blood of a lamb. What did Cain offer? The blood of a turnip and his vegetables. God rejected Cain's sacrifice. But he accepted the sacrifice of Abel. Why? Because the shedding of blood is vitally important. There is no forgiveness Without the shedding of blood. If you look at Noah when he got off the ark, he offered sacrifices. If you look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they offered sacrifices. When we get to Mount Sinai, after the children of Israel are delivered from Egypt, we see. Moses instructed by God to build a tabernacle. On the outside of the tabernacle is the altar. And on the altar, sacrifices were made. One being the atonement sacrifice made every year for the forgiveness of the people of Israel. And that's not counting the sin offerings offered on a near constant basis during the daylight hours when the tabernacle was open. What was the purpose of these blood sacrifices? Forgiveness of sins was not part of it. It was basically to put off the judgment of sin until a final Sacrifice could be made. So, from the time that Aaron made the first sacrifice at the altar, taking the blood into the tabernacle and sprinkling the blood on the heaven, on the mercy seat inside the Holy of Holies, through the time of Joshua, through the time of the judges and the kings, from the period of time, from the return from Babylon until the ministry of John the Baptist, there was a consistent pattern of blood sacrifices. But did they make the final payment for sin? Absolutely not. Why? book of Hebrews is clear. The blood of bulls and goats could not do this. A better sacrifice was needed. A better and more perfect sacrifice. Enter Jesus. This is why John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. When John said this, it begins... To put Jesus in a different light. Because Jesus is going to be our final sacrifice for sin. Follow along with what we're about to say. We already mentioned that in order to be our final sacrifice, Jesus had to be tested in all ways like we are Yet without sin. If you look at what happened in the wilderness when Satan tempted Jesus. This was part of it. And Jesus withstood every single temptation. But Jesus faced every single real life situation that we faced. Every single one. The Word said He is tested in all ways like we are which means in every possibility, including the last one, which is death. Jesus was tested in all ways like we are. But there was one difference between Jesus and everyone else. And that difference is this. Jesus did not sin yet. Without sin. This is important. Because for Jesus to be the final sacrifice for sin, He had to be sinless. Are we still here? Jesus did this. That means when He came into Jerusalem on the Triumphal Entry Sunday. He came there to make the final payment for sin. And when Jesus went to the cross, He went as the Lamb of God who was going to take away not just the sins of those at that time, And not just the sins of those who preceded Jesus. Those who were looking for the final payment that Jesus would make on the cross. Jesus was there to make your final payment. He was there to make my final payment. You see, when we believe in the Christ across the resurrection, when we believe in the shed blood of Jesus. The shed blood. That is the final payment for our sins. So when we believe in who Jesus is, when we believe in what he did on the cross, as the Lamb of God who takes Away the sins of the world. His blood pays our sin debt once and for all. Are we still here? Now, there is something about our Lamb that we need to realize. Our Lamb was slain. He shed His blood. Our faith in that blood saves us. But that lamb was also raised from the dead on the third day. That lamb was raised from the dead. Because that lamb was raised from the dead. That tells us that our sins are gone. That the final payment was accepted by God the Father. And there's going to be a reminder of this when we get to heaven. Turn your Bibles to Revelation for a moment. Revelation chapter 5. And we're going to look at verse 6. We know what happened 40 days After the resurrection, Jesus ascended back to the Father. Are we together on this? Now, what do we see in Revelation chapter 5 verse 6? At this point in the chapter, the book with the seven seals has been brought out. The cry is, is there anyone worthy to open the book? And the answer at first seems to be no. John, he was in tears over this. When one of the elders said, verse 5, Weep not for the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed. How did he prevail? When God raised him from the dead. To open the book and to loose the the seven seals thereof. Verse 6. And I beheld. And lo. In the midst. Of the throne. And of the four beasts. In the midst. Of the elders. Stood. A lamb. As it had. Been. Slain. There is something about our lamb. That is different from any sacrifice that was made if you look at the beginning from the days of Adam and Eve all the way to all the sacrifices that were made to around 70 AD all the animals were dead and never came back to life again all of the bulls and the goats once they were dead they were dead yet what do we see here in the book of Revelation Revelation we see what? A lamb as it had been slain. Our Jesus, our lamb, unlike the rest of the sacrifices, was raised from the dead by God the Father. Are we still here? Which means He is much greater than any sacrifice. Because the grave could not hold him. So when we look at Jesus. Not only was he the lamb. He is still the lamb. The only difference. He can now say payment made. And God raised me from the dead. For me to proclaim that the payment is made. Now tonight. We're just starting to set a foundation. We will pick up with this next Saturday night. But the foundation of the church is this. The gospel message. As believers, not just the three areas that we talked about tonight. The Son of God, the Christ, the Lamb. There is so much we need to know about who Jesus is. It goes beyond three. The list can be almost without number about who Jesus is. But as a church, we need to know who Jesus is as much as possible from reading the Word of God. The Word of God reveals who Jesus is. We need to know who he is. The church foundation is based on who he is. We will be asked outside the church about Jesus. And we need, as led by the Spirit, to know, so much about Jesus that the Spirit can bring us back to our mind. Part of the reason to go through this during this season is so that it is here and here so the Spirit can bring it back to your mind. If it's not you, the Spirit cannot bring it back. But we need to know this. Because we will be asked in the days ahead. And you will be asked to teach young converts and new believers. And your children and your grandchildren. The generation that is and will be coming. You need to be ready to explain to them who Jesus is. Why? Because you need to make sure their lives are established on the right foundation. In order to overcome, the foundation must be sure. And it begins with a knowledge of who Jesus is. When we know who Jesus is, Jesus will be glorified as Lord. And we can stand in every situation. Let's stand across the church tonight. Hallelujah.